every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I am your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is David Newman, the founder of Do It Marketing. Not only is he a professional speaker and author himself, but he teaches C-suite leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs how to unleash the power of thought leadership marketing to help grow their business. He's been featured in the New York Times, NBC, Fast Company, and Entrepreneur Magazine. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Great to be here. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because you have an interesting business. So uh, I'm really excited to, to talk to you. And we're, we're doing a happy half hour. That's right. We try to keep it 40. We sometimes go a little bit beyond, but every week we try a different beer. So I'm going to be drinking a New Jersey beer company, Gingerbread Man, Russian Imperial Stout. Now, in fairness of full disclosure, my mother-in-law gave me this beer for my birthday, so it's probably going to get high ratings no matter what. You Good point. Have to do that. Yeah. Smart move. Exactly. Smart move. So, and I know you, you've got a little Trader Joe's action. What are you, what are you drinking? I do. I have their, their brewed, but not alcoholic, sparkling ginger and lemon apple cider vinegar beverage. How tasty Really delicious, really refreshing. Um, you know, has kind of that sour apple thing going on and a yeah. uh, little bubbly. So it's effervescent and it's just like a wake up kiss on the lips for your <laughs> mouth. I love it. That sounds delicious in an odd way, but I'm in. Well, there you go. So let's just jump right in. Tell me a little bit about your business and what you do. Sure. So um, we have a business called Do It Marketing. And we are a sales acceleration company for solo experts. So you mentioned in the intro, which was great, by the way. Thank, Thank you. you so much. <laughs> you mentioned in the intro that we work with leaders and entrepreneurs and executives and really unleash this concept of thought leadership marketing as a sales accelerator as uh, some distinction in the marketplace and as a client magnet to help bring more prospects, better leads, bigger sales in the door. So that's what we do. We work with uh, solo consultants. We work with a handful of executives. We work with some business coaches. Mm -hmm. Those are our people. Uh, and we're also another interesting thing that I'm sure some of your other guests are talking about with this whole concept of the great resignation. Yes. There's a lot of corporate folks that are exiting their company and saying, I will never work for anyone ever again. I'm setting up my own shop. I'm opening up my own shingle. And they want to be a solo advisor, a solo yeah. consultant, some kind of coach, author, speaker themselves. And so we help those folks get started in the right direction as well. 
Well, that is super interesting. So actually, let's let's kind of dive into that. So I find this great resignation thing pretty amazing. You know, a, a lot of things have come about from the pandemic, which we'll certainly talk about. But the great resignation is definitely one of them. So what are you seeing out there where they work for this corporate job forever and they're just, I can't do this anymore? And they're, they're, what, what fields are they going into? Well, I think it's a real mix. I mean, obviously there are, uh, I think the number was something like 4 million, 4 million uh, executive jobs, not not just job jobs, but like corporate executive jobs. There's 4 million openings right now. And no one is applying for these jobs. It is totally incredible. So I think folks are leaving because they experienced the work at home phenomenon. Right. Right. They are now being either called back into the office or there's more things happening. Yeah. They realize that they really don't need to be part of the mothership yeah. to do work effectively. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Why am I, let's say I'm a, I'm a big company consultant, right? I work for Deloitte. I work for McKinsey. I work yeah. for Bain. Why am I generating millions of dollars for them, only hundreds of thousands for me? <laughs> if I did the exact same work in the exact same place, meaning my home office, yeah. looking into the exact same laptop, working with the exact same clients, I'd be making five times as much money. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, is it that important to have a at McKinsey.com email address? Or could I just as well have an at BrianCarney.com, at DavidNewman.com? And I mean, it's like a blinding flash of the obvious for some of these people saying, I am a profit center for this other corporation. Why don't I be a profit center for myself? Yeah, that's really exciting, especially, you know, for for all the entrepreneurs out there, because at some point, most people that started their own business had that revelation, right? And to see so many people go through it is such a positive, um, in my opinion, a positive impact of the pandemic for people to say, like, I don't need to be, as you said, part of the mothership anymore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. So, and I also think there's there's a sense of clarity and confidence and control that people do not have when they're tied to a large corporate entity. Very true. So, you know, in our business, we lovingly call these people the corporate refugees. Ah. That they're fleeing, they're fleeing <laughs> out of the company. They're setting up their own shop. They're getting, you know, they're doing the website, the business cards, all of that jazz. And then they go, well, wait a second. I'm really good at doing the work of this work. Yeah. Whether whatever the advisory or the consulting business is but I've never had to sell it before mm-hmm. and I'm not really good at sales and I'm not even sure how sales works. And I, if, if I know a little bit about sales, I probably don't like sales because sales is yucky and pushy and pressure. And uh, so that's where we come in is we help these folks get an entirely different take on the sales process, the sales attitude, and the sales methodology that they need to be successful as a solo consultant. Where do you see most of these solo consultants needing the most help? You know, is there a, is there a commonality between all of them where you go, okay, all of them are really struggling with X? Well, here, I'm, I'll tell you what it is, but it's not the thing that we sell because it, it would never sell. Yeah. The thing that it is, is mindset. It really is mindset. So 
The mindset is I am great at the work of the work that I love to do. And I just hate the marketing part. I hate the sales part. Now, this is like a small child who says, I hate broccoli. (laughs) Have you ever tried broccoli? No, but I hate it. It doesn't look good. It smells a little funky, um, but I'm not putting that in my mouth. So um, an older child, and you know this as a parent, and I I know this as a parent, somewhat older child would at least be willing to try it And then they end up being surprised sometimes, not always. Sometimes they're like, this is my new favorite thing. Yeah. And it's like, remember when you used to hate it, you used to never even want to try it. And now you'd love to have this thing at every meal. You would love to have this thing at every single meal. And so I think it's the same mindset problem with corporate executives and corporate folks starting their own business of any kind is that they love the work of the work. They think that they will hate marketing. They yeah. think that they will hate sales. And even if you look at words like marketing and sales, and you, you know this obviously from building your business, people equate those words with some things that they do not mean. So when I say marketing, yeah. a lot of people hear advertising. Right. They go, oh yeah, no, I, I hate marketing. <laughs> because I, I have to do ads and I have to do commercials and I have to send spammy emails. No. Then they hear the word sales and they equate that with, oh, that's cold calling. Sales equals cold calling. I hate cold calling. I hate when cold calling people call me. So I definitely don't want to do sales because sales equals cold calling and cold calling equals sales. No, 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 and no. (laughs) So I think there's a lack of sophistication of what modern day, meaning 2021, 2022, 2023, whenever people are listening to this, sure. uh, what does modern day marketing really mean? What does modern day sales really mean? I'll tell you what it no longer means. It no longer means being pushy. It no longer means being salesy. It no longer means being slimy. Yes. What it really means is trusted advisor style marketing where we offer value and invite engagement. I tell people, hey, listen, you hate the word sales, take the word sales out of your vocabulary. Yep. Never needs to darken your doorstep again. Replace it with four new words. Offer value, invite engagement. If we spend all of our time in a sales process, offering value and inviting engagement to the next step, we will start to get clients. We will start to make sales. We will start to grow the business. And offer values about relevance. It's about relationship. It's about being helpful and useful yes. to your clients. Uh, we do sales with our prospects. We do not do sales to our prospects. Yes. So think of it as a collaboration. Offer value, invite engagement, and you will start to see some amazing results in your business. I, I love that. So uh, offer value, invite engagement. So, and I, I love the idea that it's a collaborative process because. Like many of us, we I started out in a in a career that was closing, right? And I actually think a lot of people in the sales on the sales side hate to close as much as people hate to be closed, right? So I love the idea that hey, I'm presenting and I'm helping you and I'm giving you enough information to be able to make a decision. Here's the information. I think you should do this, this, and this. It's your decision and, and making it you know, a, a collaborative process where the prospect actually is in control. Yes, very much so. 
or or the prospect is at least I'm not sure the prospect is in, in control. The prospect feels that they have some agency and they yes. do have some agency, right? Yeah. So we generally lead the sales process. Yeah, we good put point. the structure and the guardrails and the guidelines in place. But but here's the thing, people want to be led. Right. People are attracted to two things. And this is true in your consulting and your coaching or your mentoring or your advising business. It's also true in the sales process. They're attracted to certainty and process. Mm. So certainty means that you come in and you are leading the conversation. Yep. You are not controlling the conversation. You are not manipulating the conversation because that's old school selling. Yes. But you are <laughs> controlling the stages and phases of that conversation. At any time, the prospect can raise their hand and opt out. Yep. So it's, it's a peer-to-peer process, but at the same time, we're never going to lose control of the sale. So for example, we never say, hey, yeah, you know, whenever you want to talk about this again, just get back to me. Mm-hmm. So one of the mantras that we teach and that we believe in is never leave one sales conversation without putting the next sales conversation onto the prospect's calendar. doesn't matter what's on your calendar, matters what's on their calendar, that Brian and I are going to talk again on the 14th at three o'clock, yep. right? So now we've both, we've both enforced that next step on the calendar. Uh, so, you know, is the prospect in control? No, we are in control, but the prospect has agency and has full capability of acting as our peer and as our partner. And I think this is another thing, just quick sidebar on a sidebar. We love clients who treat us as a partner, but as prospects, are we treating them as a partner? That may be something that everyone wants to look at. Very because if you treat your prospects like pawns, you treat your prospects like a number, Accounts. you treat your yeah. prospects like, like children, yep. guess what kind of clients they're going to be, Yeah. right? So I would suggest that you treat your very best prospects like you would treat your very best clients. And again, there's a transformational component to that, that you will see some changes happen so fast your head will spin. Yep. And so there's a lot to unpack there. I I love the idea of the, you know, being the trusted advisor, because when you really help someone, they become a really great client as opposed to a transaction based client, you know, they'll come back to you when they need help with something else. Right. The other thing you bring up, which I, I, I talk about a lot, I feel like the number one killer of a sales process is inertia. And to have the you know, your, your client or your prospect have a deadline of the next meeting, you know, is, is, is super valuable. I think a lot of times if you just say, well, I'll be in touch whenever it, it just, the deal will kind of just hang out there in the wind. Totally, totally, totally. And, you know, here's the other thing, a sales process will continue until the time that that process itself is no longer valuable to the prospect. So what that means is at every touch point with every conversation, you are adding additional information, additional insights, additional value. Maybe it's even contrarian. Maybe you're challenging their thinking. There's a great book, Brian, I'm sure that you've seen it called The Challenger Sale, which is about how a salesperson can actually sell more by shifting the premise 
of the prospect's buying criteria. Hmm. So, well, don't worry about that. That's not as important. What we're finding with our clients is that this over here is way more important. Right. And then you know that you've hit this when the prospect says, whoa, I've never thought about it that yes. way, right? Yeah. As soon as you see that light bulb moment or you you hear that record noise scratching across <laughs> the needle of the record player, and then you can see the prospect shifts from I'm talking to a salesperson, their guard goes down, their shields go down. I'm talking to someone who's really smart and who can help me. Yes. So if we change that relationship from a numbers game to a value game yep. or a numbers game to a relevance game or a numbers game to an insight game. How, how many insights, how, how, how much new contrarian, different information could I share with my prospect that's going to shift their thinking yeah. from looking at me as I'm like everybody else that sells what I sell to holy smokes, I'm now talking to a real expert. Yeah. That when you're talking to a real expert, you will sell more. You will yep. sell more. That makes a ton of sense. I'm actually interested in the, the start of your business. And you were at one point, you're a client, right? Meaning you're, the clients that you're dealing with now, you were at the exact same spot a lot of them were. So absolutely. Talk about the sort of the evolution of, of your business and how you got started and you know why you ended up going the, down the path that you did. Sure. So uh, we're working for the man, so to speak. I had a series of corporate training and corporate consulting jobs. So I worked for a small training company. I worked for Towers Parent, which is a big management consulting firm. I worked for PeopleSoft, which is a technology consulting, you know, ERP software company before they were bought by Oracle. Uh -huh. And so that, that series of three jobs showed me three things. I'm really good at training. I'm really good at speaking and I'm really good at consulting. And like many of the corporate refugees that we talked about a minute ago, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to start my own thing because yeah. how hard can it be? <laughs> I know how to speak. I know how to train. I know how to consult. And I went out on my own and the first three years were a complete train wreck. I mean, wow. just, and this is where you and I first met. Yes. Um, I think maybe you and I probably met maybe four or five years in, but it still wasn't, it wasn't going great guns even four or five years in. Yeah. So I realized that it doesn't matter how good you are at the work of the work. Yeah. You got to learn marketing and you got to learn sales because as an independent professional, your job has changed. It's yep. no longer about doing the work, your main job is now getting the work, right? Right. Getting the work is where is the, the juice is. Yes, for sure. So that you, you get to do the work that you enjoy. So I started down that path and uh, then I, I sort of niched down. I used to be a generic yep. small business consultant. Then I used to be a professional services small business consultant. Yep. And then starting around 2013, 2014, uh, because I was doing a lot of speaking and training and coaching myself, right. I said, well, wait a minute, people just like me need help also. Yeah. So then I niched into speakers, trainers, coaches, consultants. Obviously with the pandemic in March of 2020, the speaking component of that sort of ground down to zero. Yep. It, it ground to a halt pretty quickly. 
Uh, along the way, I've written two books. The Do It Marketing book came out in 2013. The Do It Speaking book, ironically, came out in January of 2020. Oh. <laughs> January of 2020. So, Brian, when, when people say timing is everything, timing is everything. <laughs> so March of 2020, the speaking business totally implodes. The speaking industry, the conference industry, the events industry yep. because of COVID. Uh, it has come back a little bit in fits and starts, but now we've got variants, we've got vaccines, we've got third vaccine, fourth vaccine, who knows how long this is going to go on. Yes. Uh, and so speaking is no longer a primary profit center for me or for our clients, but certainly there are consultants who use speaking as a lead generator or who use speaking as a revenue generator or both. I also, while we're talking about speaking here for a quick second, Speaking is not just for professional speakers. I think that's something that's always been misunderstood. Right. Speaking is the, the ultimate one-to-many marketing strategy, and it's the one-to-many lead generating sales strategy. And I want you to think about it this way. Mm -hmm. How many of our colleagues and friends have said, man, Brian, it is really tough to get leads. You know, once I'm face-to-face -face with somebody, man, I can I'm sell. Awesome. They, yeah. They're on board. You know, we have a great rapport. They want what I do. They need what I do. They get what I do. It's like, okay, so one-on-one -on -one meetings, you're a rock star. What if we took 200 one-on-one -on -one meetings and all had them at the same time? That's called the speaking gig. <laughs> and you can do that in person. You can do that on Zoom. You can do that on a webinar. I mean, we're doing it right now. Right. Right. So you have this fantastic, amazing podcast. Every one of these podcasts is a speaking opportunity for you. Right. And it's a speaking opportunity for guys like me who are your guests. Yes. So put speaking in a bigger box. That's my recommendation. Put speaking in a bigger box. Yes, you can do speaking at your local chamber, your local professional association, your you know conferences that might be local, regional, state, national. Yeah. But there's so many other opportunities webinars, video, live streaming, podcasting. The more people that hear your voice, the more people know what you do, know what sets you apart from the crowd and goes, wow, you know, I need to follow up with Brian because man, oh man, my financial situation is not what I need it to be. Right. And, you know, the folks I'm using are nowhere near as smart and resourceful and wonderful. Yeah. When I'm doing a speaking engagement, whether it's online, virtual, Zoom, live, recorded, doesn't matter. People get a sample. Yep. So think about that. The beginning part of a prospecting call is building rapport and sharing ideas with your prospect. Imagine if you could do that at scale, on demand, whenever you wanted to, that's the benefit of having a virtual speaking component to your lead generating strategy. And this is true, whatever kind of professional you are. Yeah. You could be a doctor, a chiropractor, a lawyer, an accountant, um, you know, a financial advisor, a management consultant. This applies to everybody. Yes. Everybody needs to embrace speaking as your one-to-many marketing platform and your one-to-many lead generating sales platform. You bring up a great point because you know, like you mentioned, the conference world is, you know, let's just say it's struggling. Down. It's struggling. Yeah. Right. So at, if you get hired to speak at a conference, you're, you're in front of X amount of people. You know, the thing that I find interesting about this virtual opportunity, you know, is you can record 
and you can blast out. You, the net can be so much bigger because just because I'm in Delaware and you're in Pennsylvania and, you know, I, I could reach out to someone in California or Canada or Mexico or wherever. And by just by them seeing and signing up and watching me on a webinar, for example, whereas opposed to they have to get in their car or get on a plane and fly somewhere and stay in a hotel to see. So I think the possibility of a of speaking business is still the, the net could just be wider. Is that an accurate totally. way to look at it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of traditional speakers um, in a way this is a dream come true because think about it. (laughs) Every single presentation is being recorded. Yeah. Every single speech, every single seminar, every single training, every single everything. Uh, If you're smart, you're recording it, you're repurposing it, you're breaking it up, you're atomizing it into small bites. You can repurpose, put it on your website, put it on your LinkedIn profile, send it out to prospects. So for example, you and I are having this great conversation today. I may have said something smart 10 or 12 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, if I were to, uh, in a prospecting mode, say, hey, uh, Susan, who's my prospect, I was just on this fantastic, amazing podcast with my friend, Brian Carney. I talked about your situation, about your reluctance to market and your reluctance to sell, where that comes from and how you might overcome it. Listen into this episode. Here's the link. Start listening around minute 12. Yeah. Now I have taken a speaking engagement that is evergreen, meaning my appearance here on your fantastic show, and I've leveraged it into a prospecting and a sales tool. Yep. So every speech is recorded. Every speech can be cut, edited, redistributed, repurposed, re-sent out lots of different ways on lots of different platforms. And it's evergreen. Whereas if we were to do a traditional talk Mm -hmm. in front of 100 people, 30 people, 20 people, whatever it is, that disappears. No one's videoed. No one's following you around with a video camera. Yeah. Right. No one's archiving every brilliant thing that you say. Yep. And it's gone with the wind, so to speak. So I look at the virtual speaking platforms of today as a huge benefit and a huge marketing asset and a huge sales asset for those reasons. That's great. Um, I I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, being able to use, you know, say social media and repackage a video for 30 seconds with the captions coming up where, you know, maybe people don't listen with with the sound on like I do. Uh, I think that's a great point. Now, going back a little bit to the, the growth of your business right? Was there ever a time where you got to a point you go, I don't think I'm, I'm going to go back and work for the man. I, I, don't, I only have X amount of time left. I can't do this anymore. Where you just thought about maybe this isn't for me, I'm going to give up. And if you got to that point, what got you out of that? So two things. Uh, number one, yes, I thought about it. And number two, yes, I did it. Yeah. So right before you and I met, which I think was around 2008. Yep. Uh, late 2006, I had this moment of saying, you know what, this isn't working. This yeah. isn't working. I don't know why it's not working, but it's clearly not working. And I started a serious job search. Now, I know most entrepreneurs, if they're not looking on Monster or Career Builder at least once a month, they're not working hard enough right. <laughs> because we all want to throw in the towel and we have to, you know, we, we have to decide 
to win about a thousand times. It's not one decision. It's, a thousand, so right. it's a thousand decisions to keep doing what we're doing. But I got a job at this small, about $5 million revenue uh, information marketing company okay. in Springfield, Pennsylvania. And I came in as their VP of product development. They loved that I had a background of speaking and training. And they hired me to expand their online offerings with webinars, teleseminars, these speaking, you know, virtual back yeah. then, right. you know, pre, way pre-pandemic, pre, pre, yeah. <laughs> still virtual. They, they called them audio conferences. Oh. It was a fancy name for a teleseminar, but <laughs> audio conferences and webinars. And they also wanted me to help them get into the live speaking business because they wanted to produce their own conferences and their own events. Yeah. So I did that and it was super, super helpful. It was mainly super helpful because what was my job? My job was to hire other speakers, consultants, and experts within two weeks, Brian, of taking that job. I could instantly see all the mistakes that I was making in my own business. Wow. So I was looking at other speakers, other trainers, other experts, you know, HR consultants, safety consultants, uh, legal experts of various kinds. And I realized, you know, based on what I'm seeing here from the buyer's chair, I wouldn't hire me. I wouldn't hire the old David Newman who was out there as a speaker. So the moment that this, this thunderclap hit my brain cells and I was like, well, if I wouldn't hire me, why am I surprised that other people are not hiring <laughs> me? So I was in that job for a year. It was a fantastic opportunity. 2008, February of 2008, I leave that job. I do two things. Number one, I seek out the CEO peer group that you and I were both part of for yes. a, 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 a couple of years. And I get serious about investing in my own professional development and I go and do some industrial strength sales training wow. because I knew I had to figure this out. Yeah. So the one people ask me, well, David, what's your biggest regret in your entrepreneurial journey? It is not seeking out mentors sooner. Yes. And if I had done sales training in 2002 or 2003 or 2004, I shuddered to think how yeah. far along the business would be today. But I didn't because I was stubborn. I was in denial. I had my head up in the clouds going, I can figure this out. Yes. Well, my friends, nobody figures this out. Yep. And Brian, you know this, and I know this from the School of Hard Knocks, no one does anything great alone. You're very right? true. You always need mentors. You always need Sherpas. You always need guides. You always need people who are encouraging you. And by the way, I'm not saying spend zillions of dollars and go hire coaches and trainers and so forth. I'm saying get the help that's available to you. Get help from your friends. Get help from your mentors. Get help from your local trade and professional association. Get help from networking groups. Get help from like these CEO masterminds that you and I were a part of. Yes. But don't try and figure this out alone because it is really, really, really tough. You know, entrepreneurship looks easy. You're it's right. like, well, you got to just sit around home in your sweatpants, right? <laughs> no, no. There's a lot more going on below the surface. Yeah. There's a lot more going on below the sweatpants. For sure. So, Always. Yeah. So the, the mentorship piece was huge. And then 2008 and nine and 10, when you and I are in the group together, you know, that was kind of chapter two of yeah. some business growth and some business acceleration. 
Uh, you and I used to have a nickname for these. It was the vigorous tooth cleaning. That's right. Remember the vigor. So man, when, when you're in front of a peer group of like 12 really smart people and they go, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm not seeing how that works. That doesn't make any sense. Stop doing that. Start doing this. How about that? How about this? And you realize, well, you're not the smartest person in the room and you better make some changes. For sure. So we did that process. And then chapter three really started around 2013, where we started to elevate and escalate the business. We started to get into online courses, digital programs, high fee mentoring programs. Um, I'd always coached people one-on-one. -on -one, and so the price of that kept going up and up. Yeah. I then hired a team in 2017. Wow. And that's the other thing that a lot of entrepreneurs are not willing to do. But again, going back to the spirit of no one does anything great alone. Yeah. Yes, it's mentors and coaches and advisors, but it's also being able to hire a team and how to outsource and how to delegate. They don't need to be employees on day one. Right. They can be contractors. They can be part-time, but you should not be doing your business alone. If there's any entrepreneurs listening, and I hope there are, uh, if, you're, if you're out there solo, the first hire I would make is a virtual assistant, yes. a VA, because the saying goes, if you don't have a VA, you are the VA <laughs> and you're doing all kinds of monkey work and playing with your website and trying to figure out your email software that you should not be touching. So first hire is going to be a really great VA. And then you can look at hiring other people and kind of build out your org chart of the future and what you want that to look like. But man, when I started hiring a team and there's, there's nine of us now, there's nine wow. people who work here. And I, I kind of look around, I'm like, where'd y'all come from? Right. Where'd y'all come from? I, I don't remember hiring nine people because I didn't hire nine people. It came one person at a time. Yep. I think you bring up such a great point. I feel like in the growth phase of an entrepreneur's business, that decision of, hey, I shouldn't be doing this, but I don't have enough money to hire an assistant or hire someone to help me do that is really sort of uh, kind of like trying to get across the, uh, the, the, the ocean with your one hand still tied to the beach, right? Yeah. It's, you do have, and it, the, the cash flow always seems to work itself out when you've got it going. And you're like, oh yeah, that VA probably, you were doing literally intern type work and now you had someone that, and now that frees you up to do far more higher dollar value uh, uh, tasks for the business. Absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I think your 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 journey is pretty interesting. You start out, you go back to to a, a quote unquote regular job, and you see the other side of your business, and it's like you got hit in the head with a brick, right? And it said, yeah. "All right, now now I'm actually ready to do this." And now your business has grown up. So much so that you're able to help a, a, a solo consultant go, this is what I did. Don't do this. Exactly. Yeah. L learning from OPM, other people's mistakes. Yes. Yep. That's a great way to put it. Now, now the one thing I find interesting about your expertise in marketing, and we, we touched on it a little bit, but marketing is such a big black box where there's a lot of things in that box. And some people think they're all sort of the same. I always find the difference between uh, the, the confusion between marketing and branding very interesting. How are you able to, to sort of shake a, one of your clients and say, they're not the same and here's how they're different? Sure. Well, it's funny that you mentioned branding because 
one of the chapters in my do it marketing book is literally titled branding is BS. <laughs> so I'm, you can tell where I stand on this right. whole topic, right? So, so there's a lot of branding consultants out there that will ask you all these theoretical questions like, Hey, if your business was a car, what kind of car would it be? And you know, uh, what, what, what shade of pink, Right. And, you know, do you like a round logo or a square logo and all of these surface level things? Whereas my belief is that a brand is simply a value proposition or a promise that you put out into the marketplace and that you deliver on consistently. Mm. Now, so a brand and branding right? Branding without first having figured out really what's the business, what's the business model, revenue model, uh, service model, what's the strategy, all of those things come before branding makes any sense at all. Right. So think about branding as a coat of paint on a house. You got to build the house first. For sure. And the house is 90% of the work and painting the house is 10% of the work. Yeah. So all of these poor misled entrepreneurs who the first thing they go, they get business cards and then they hire a branding consultant as their first uh, investment of money. I, how, why am I so passionate about this? Guess what? That's what I did. That's <laughs> what I did. So I hired this guy. This was early 2000s. It was uh, about three or $4,000. Here's what I got. Here's what I got. I hope everyone's, you're going to turn green with envy right now. I got myself a logo. I got myself business cards, envelopes, and uh, Letterhead. stationery. Yeah. Stationary. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm ready to go. I guess I'm a brand now. I had no idea what yeah. was my business model, service model, revenue model, profit centers. What am I doing? Who am I doing it for? Why is it different? articulation, distinction, messaging. By the way, these are all components of marketing. Sure. The branding piece should have come last. It should not have come first. Great point. And before I cleaned out my office in 2019, because we just redid and repainted and we just did this whole new office renovation in 2019, I found this box. I found the box of stationary envelopes business cards from 2002, Done. from 17 years ago, I smiled, I patted it on the head, I walked it out to the recycling, <laughs> I dropped it in the recycling bin, Goodbye, and I said fella. to myself, lesson learned. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think that's really interesting because you know I always say, if you work in a target market, why do you care if people know who you are outside of that target market? You know what I mean? You know, if I'm selling, I don't know, air conditioners, why do I care that people that are super into camping and sleeping outside know who I am? It doesn't make any sense. So that right. seems like branding is just a wide brush that doesn't have a, a have a, it's like hunting with a, uh, with a spray gun as opposed to a, to a sniper rifle. I find that right. interesting. Yeah. I love that you teach your clients not to just take jobs because someone will hire you. And I feel like that's a huge mistake that a lot of people, it's sort of like, oh my God, this person wants to hire me. I'm going to discount my price and I don't even like this person or what they're all about. And I'm going to work with them anyway. That seems like a, a real struggle to, to break people from that mentality. How have you been able to help people do that? This is about what are you accepting in your yes. business, right? What are you 
what are you kind of willing to put up with? Mm-hmm. And this is typically people that do not have any standards or guardrails in yeah. their business. So by, by standards and guardrails, what I mean is, what kind of clients are you willing to work with? What kind of clients are you absolutely not willing to work with? Yep. What kind of fees are you willing to accept? What kind of fees are you absolutely no longer willing to accept? What kind of work do you want to do? What kind of work would you not touch with a 10 foot pole? <laughs> and I, I heard this recently and I forget where, but it's a good, it's a good sound bite. Your business will grow to the extent and, and no further than the extent that you can say the word no. Mm-hmm. No, I am not willing to do that kind of work. No, I am not willing to do that kind of low ball, cheap client, you know, tire kicker, price shopper, yeah. the one that nickels and dimes everything, questions everything, resists everything, fights everything. I am no longer willing to work for that level of fee. Yeah. Right. So we all have kind of a get out of bed number or a put on your pants number. Sure. Uh, if you if you consistently violate any of those things, you knowingly take on a non-ideal client. Mm-hmm. You knowingly do work that you're no longer excited about. You can do it, but you don't love it or yeah. you're not even that good at it. But you can do it. you can do an average job at it. Uh, you're willing to take a low ball fee because, hey, a low ball fee is better than no fee. Sure. It is absolutely not because every time you violate one of those guardrails and, and uh, standards in your own business, you're telling yourself, I'm the person who works with subpar clients. You are telling yourself, I'm the person who's ha- happy to work at bargain basement fees. And I'm the person who's willing to take any job, anytime, anywhere for any number. So think about it this way. A lot, of, a lot of consultants, a lot of experts are really, really concerned about clients saying no. My advice is don't be concerned about good clients saying no. Be concerned about bad clients saying yes. <laughs> That's such a great point. It really is. You actually brought this full circle from the beginning. So the what I'm hearing you say as you end this is self-limiting beliefs are a big problem with your clients. One, I'm not sure I can do this to begin with. And two, I'm going to take this client because I have to. Yes. Right? I'm not good enough yet to say no to this. I need, the, I need the income or I need the revenue to do that. Totally. And so let's also take that self-limiting and let's plug in a couple more words. It is absolutely self-limiting beliefs, but it's also self-limiting actions. It is self-limiting behavior. It is self-limiting fees. So take all of those things and replace it with the word breakthrough. Imagine if you only worked with breakthrough clients, with breakthrough projects and at breakthrough fees, fees that you never even imagined that you would get when you started it out. If that became possible for you, you would be unstoppable. And that's our goal. I love it. That, that is a perfect place to end. I, I really, I think it's outstanding. I really enjoyed this conversation. So if you would like to learn more about David and his company, go to doitmarketing.com. If you want to connect with me on the untapped app, so you can see how I'm going to rate this gingerbread man beer. My username is brcarney7. To learn more about how our firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy-half-hour.com. All right. Moment of truth for this thing. 
it is very sweet. It's like drinking a cookie. I'm not sure you could drink more than one, than one of them. Christmas is around the corner, so it's a good holiday season beer. I'd give this a two and a half out of five. That's how I would give it. Wow. Harsh, dude. Harsh. It, I know. It is a little harsh, but it's also very strong, too. So 9% is it's bringing the heat. Uh, so, But very good Christmas beer. So, all right, David, thank you so much for your time. I, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, and cheers to you. My pleasure, sir. Cheers back at you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC. 